2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. We continue our series, a little bit of a different approach, more of a topical approach as we launch uh, into the new year, 2015. It's been a cold one, and many of you are here. You chose to be here bright and early on a cold morning, and I commend you for your faithfulness. Be assured that you plan to be faithful when it's hot out as well. You plan now to be faithful when it's hot, not just when it is cold. Uh, what a delight it is always. What a privilege um, it is that we have as children of the Holy One, of our Heavenly Father, to come and to express our adoration, our love for Him, for all that He has done. And one of the ways that we adore Him is to continue to learn to be more like Him. And that's what's so important, so imperative about the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we'll get there in just a moment. Would you bow your heads, please, as we dedicate our time to the Lord and ask for His guidance as we learn together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are so grateful for this hour that you've given to us to be together. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to lift up our voices in praise to you with the freedoms and grace that you blessed us with. Father, I pray that the words that, that just came out of our mouths would be sincere and accepted as an offering of our love to you. Father, we thank you for your word and and how complete it is, how perfect it is, how, how applicable it is to our lives right here, right now, today. I pray, Lord, that you would speak, that our ears would be open to hear what you have for us to say. I pray, Lord, for this church, your church, that we would be faithful stewards of all that you've blessed us with, that we would keep a clear vision and sight as to where you've called us to go and that we would be faithful. When we stumble and fall, that we would be quick to admit and ask for forgiveness from one another and from you, and that we would understand your grace to be faithful, to continue to move forward. Father, we ask now that you would guide me and guide my lips, my words, and may I not say or do anything that would ever be offensive to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may you be glorified in this time. We ask this, precious and holy Son's name, amen, amen. It's been almost almost two years um, this coming May that we have really painted a very clear vision as far as where we need to be going as a local church in our community, that we would build relationships with those in this community so that God ultimately is glorified and that lives, individual lives, would be literally transformed and changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we talk about that happening, I believe, is by creating a culture of evangelism. I don't know if you remember last week or not, we're going to introduce this to you. I talked about this word culture. You remember, remember what I, I reminded you what the word culture meant? It ha 
has to do with shared ideas together, collectively, shared ideas, shared language, and shared understanding on how we should act and how to act. Matter of fact, a culture is to become so normal for us, so natural for us, that it's, it's, it's even unseen. We don't even realize that we're in it. It's that natural. Have you, ever, have you ever traveled before? Have you ever crossed cultures before um, and been in something that is completely foreign for you, unnatural, unnormal for you? I remember sitting in a rickshaw in Jalpegria, India, and um, immersed, literally, in the culture. We, we have a picture of this and. And uh, just at Christmas, we were looking at some pictures of family. Every time that my wife sees that picture, she, she laughs. She says, look, it looks like you're photoshopped in there. Clearly, just you just do not belong. What's the big, white, smiling, bald guy doing in the midst of all of these people? Dark skin, dark hair. They are immersed in the culture. It's completely normal for them. Their, their language, their food, their currency, their dress. And then, and then, remember the song in Sesame Street, which one of these things does not belong here? That, that's me. That's, that's a person who is taken from one culture. And it is, I may, be, I may be in the culture, but I'm not part of the culture. What, what we need to understand is that as a church, we need to create a culture of evangelism. What I'm concerned about is that oftentimes we kind of Photoshop ourselves in to the culture of evangelism. Where in a sense, what we do oftentimes is, here's a picture of me telling a Bible story at VBS. See this? I did this. And it's kind of unnatural for us. We have to think too long and too hard about it. Here's a picture of me feeding hungry people in Cruz Blanca, Guatemala on a missions trip. Or here's, a, here's me, and, I, and I'm sharing the gospel at the county jail. What happens is that we kind of Photoshop ourselves in, and it's not normal. It's not natural. It needs to become natural for us. When we do anything regularly, when we do anything consistently, when we do anything faithfully, it becomes a normal, natural part of our culture. We talked last week about creating this culture and how to do this and what it looks like. And we began, first of all, the fact that it has to be motivated by love for Jesus. First and foremost, in our own hearts. We are just so... We are so adoring as to what Jesus has done for us that we don't deserve. We are so ecstatically in love with this one. We begin with that. We talked about the fact that to create a culture of evangelism, we have to be confident in the gospel. We recognize, as Paul uses the term, the power, literally the power that, that I was lost and I was blind and I was hungry. I was dead in my sin. And God rescued me, redeemed me. There's power to transform lives through the gospel. 
We talked last week that we have to be aware and understand the danger of entertainment when we think about this idea of, of evangelism. We don't just pump the music up louder and turn the lights up brighter and try to impress people with a light show or, 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 or everyone will come to a circus. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that there's something that's, that's alive, that lives and breathes, and we, we know that others need to hear, others need to hold for themselves understand for themselves the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to build on that today. I want to give you three more ideas of how to create this culture. And I know it seems somewhat laborious or, or, or working through a, a chore or a classroom setting, but this is really important if we're going to continue to fulfill the vision that God has given to us. Here it is. Number four, if we're going to create a culture of evangelism, we need to learn, we need to, to see individual people clearly. Excuse me. See individual people clearly. You turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We direct your attention to verse 16. Paul writes and he says this, from, from now on, from this moment forward, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. I want to direct your attention to those words from now on, from this moment. We mark the time, the date, the place. We will regard no one according to the flesh. We, as a body of believers, will regard no one according to the flesh. What the author, what Paul is emphasizing here is spiritual insights into individual people's lives. Think of it like this. Since you and I hopefully have experienced Christ's love for us, we have, we have received the good news of Jesus Christ. We have, we have believed and acknowledged and understood and accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should move us to stop viewing other people according to fleshly or worldly standards and learn to view each person, every single person individually from the standpoint of God's great act of salvation. Now, this can be very, very challenging, very hard for many people, especially today. Because when you see a person, automatically what happens is that we immediately see, whoa, the clothes that that person wears, the car that that person drives. We see them, and we see the house that they live in. We see the career that they have. What we need to do is we've got to learn to see the individual person. Think about that. That, that runs in complete contradiction of every bit of learned behavior, intentional or unintentional, of what we have had since we were literally kids. Since we were little ones, and some of you that are little ones in school today, you'll understand that people in our culture today, in our society today, marginalize individuality, and we become people that must move in packs. In, in, in groups. And what happens is that we see the pack. Yeah, yeah, there's Brian. He's a jock. We don't see Brian. We see what? Yeah, yeah, 
there, there's, there's Susie. She's, she's a geek. And we marginalize individuality and we put everyone into jocks and preps and, and rednecks or hicks and stoners and skaters and hipsters and goths and geeks, etc., etc., ad nauseum. There's no end to it. Many people think that, no, when we grow up, when we mature, that we put an end to this childish behavior. And sadly, it doesn't happen like that. Many people don't. Grown ups, grown ups, some of you do exactly the same thing if we do not recognize it and consciously, consciously work against it. We too will move in packs. We too will move in cliques and circles. Wrongly, wrongly thinking that some are in the circle and some are out of the circle. There are some that drive pickup trucks and there are some that drive SUVs. There are some that wear work boots and there are some that wear ties. There are some that are blue collar. There are some that are white collar. No, no, no. We cannot see that. We cannot be that. Why? Because every single one of us are sinners saved by God's grace. Every single one of us. How, how, how easy, how, how much would Satan love for us as a local church to adopt the culture of the world and regard people based on sexist or racist or socioeconomic or other superficial views. What happens is that we tend to forget. We actually tend to forget every single person. Everyone, everyone is flesh and blood. Every person that you see has real hurts and dreams and struggles and loves Every single person has a story. What we need to do as we create this culture of evangelism is what? Get to know the other person's story. Get to know them. Listen. Listen to them. And learn about them. Paul is actually addressing the fact here that our view of people changes When we know Christ, our view of other people changes. When we ourselves know Christ, we do not see them through the eyes of the world. We see them through the eyes of Christ. You know, I I love people. I love people. They thrill me. They amaze me. They scare me to death. I became a pastor in 1995, and I remember very clearly making this mistake in my early years of ministry where I would pick a person, I would point at a person, and I would look at this couple, and I would say, wow, could God ever do amazing things with that couple? What a bust. What, 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 what fallacy is there to that thinking? I have stopped a long time ago. I have stopped trying to pick out 
who God is going to use in amazing and powerful ways because God literally proves me wrong almost every single time. He loves to take people from the back corners of obscurity and bring them out and use them in such amazing ways that it is so humbling and delighting to watch. Love to see that. Go back to the Old Testament. I think of a king. I, I, I would have so voted for Saul. I, I would have been at the right at the front line. That's the one I want. Head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul strides into a room and you and I would love to have him lead us. He was the greatest warrior. He was the best hunter. And God said, sure, if that's who you want. That's who you can have. But ultimately, we remember that it was a man who was this little boy who was way back in the back hills, playing his harp, watching sheep. No one would have ever chosen David. And God took and used David in an amazing way. That, that's what we need to be doing. To have a culture of evangelism, we must, must, must be aware of what people can become as brand new creations of Christ removed from the past, renewed and restored by the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ended it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. Pick it up with me in verse 17. Look at, look at this. Look at this verse. Underline this verse. Therefore, if anyone... You mean anyone? The drug addict that's locked in a prison cell down the road? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That, that's... that's how we are supposed to live. We are not to see what people are, but we are to see what people can be through the gospel. Number two, to create a culture of evangelism. We need individuals that pull together in unity. Philippians chapter 1. If you would turn with me there, I, I told you that we'd be flipping around a little bit. Philippians chapter 1, I want to direct your attention to verses 3, 4, and 5. Oh, how we love the Philippians. They're faithful. We yearn and desire to be like the Philippians. And Paul commends them. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making mention, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's those... It's those couple words that Paul says, I'm grateful, I am grateful to God for you. And it says, for your partnership of the gospel. 
I got a book uh, given to me by my dad this Christmas, a, a delightful little read. It was called Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rayner. What Rayner did was that he actually, he, he intentionally researched churches, many of them, that died. He went to communities. And we talked about it last week, churches crumbling, dilapidated buildings. Rainer went to communities and he, he interviewed people in that community, interviewed former pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses, members of those churches, and asked the question, what, what happened here? Why does this church no longer exist? What went wrong? What broke? Very clearly, as the book reveals, a, a collective consensus, a collective report was this by way of a summary statement. They became more focused on themselves, on their own wishes and their own wants, and they missed the big picture. They missed the big part. The one goal of the gospel. I mentioned this. I said, you can drive any community in our, in our whole country, and you'll find these dead churches. Why? Because the collective corporate purpose of the local church is bringing glory to God by sharing the gospel and making disciples. And what happens is that that single goal gets sidelined. It gets set aside for something else. It gets set aside for something less. And that's, that's what happens. Paul, Paul writes and he reminds everyone. And this morning the Holy Spirit reminds you and I. We do this. We do this thing called church every day. Not just on Sunday. We do it for the partnership of the gospel. Do you know who, um, you know who Herb Brooks is? Does that name ring a bell? Go back. Some of you aren't going to quite remember this. Herb Brooks, 1980. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born yet. I'm out. Um, the Olympics. Herb Brooks, the story uh, about the miracle on ice. He was the head coach of, of Team USA that beat the Soviets in hockey. Like, I remember now. Kurt Russell played. Remember the Disney movie, The Miracle? I remember it now. What's interesting is that a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of other coaches, players, thought that Herb Brooks was, was, was crazy. And the fact that he was driving his players too hard. He was driving his players. The players were what? At that point, they were only college players. These are the top college players in the entire nation. Take 330 million people and take the top, what, 15 young hockey players. And Brooks was preparing for the Olympics, and he was running his players hard. He was skating them hard. So much so that some of them literally collapsed on the ice and exhausted, and Herb Brooks would skate over to them, and he would lean down, and he would say, who do you play hockey for? One guy would say, Michigan State get him back up and they would continue to skate 
wind sprints until they would fall in exhaustion again. Another player would fall on the ice. Brooks would skate over to him and say, who do you play hockey for? University of Michigan. You get him back up and he would continue to skate them, continue to run them until a third player collapsed on the ice and he skated over to him. He said, who do you play hockey for? And the kid turned around and looked up and he said, I play hockey for the United States of America. And it was a, it was a defining moment. It changed everything. There was no longer this individual, there is one. Now, I, I love the whole red, white, and blue, okay? We are blessed to live in a country that is beyond measure in, in, in grace and freedoms. The people, we are not here to save America. We're here to save Americans. That's where God has called us to live at this point. We have to see the individual people. And we have to realize, we have to understand that this, this is not my church, Okay? This is not your church. This is His church. We understand that. This is not my ministry. This is not your ministry. This is our ministry together. Where we are called with a single purpose to bring glory to God by fulfilling the mission and the mandate that He has given to us collectively, corporately. Not the mission or the mandate that you think or you would like to have as your own. Understand this. When you enter this place, you literally set your own personal agenda aside. Wow, really? Yeah, really. For the partnership of the gospel. Which means what? We move and we minister as one. Apostle Paul emphasizes it. He makes this very, very clear. Uses the exact same picture you're very familiar with in Romans chapter 12 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen very carefully. It says this from verses 4 and 5 of Romans chapter, chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, and it's repeated, are one body in Christ. This is exactly the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He speaks about the hand and the foot and the eye. In verse 24, it says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Then he concludes with this phrase, Now you are the body of Christ. 
You get this in a, in a culture where it becomes normal and natural for us. So natural we don't even realize we're in it. We're not photoshopping ourselves in. In the culture of evangelism, there is an understanding that every person is engaged in the mission. In a culture of evangelism, there's a clear understanding that every single person is engaged in the mission. Have you ever heard this before? Yeah, well, evangelism's not my gift. As, as if, as if I think of sitting around the table when I was a kid, when you finish your meal, Dad, can I please be excused? We could not leave the table. If Dad wasn't there, you had to ask Mom. You cannot leave the table. Can I please be excused? Yes, you can be excused. That's what I think of. Yeah, excuse me. I, I don't really have the gift of evangelism as if, oh, you may be excused. No, 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 that doesn't work like that. That is a complete false misunderstanding, misrepresentation of what evangelism is. All Christians are called to share their faith. It's a point of faithfulness, not a point of gifting. And we have to hold on to that. Now there are certainly, certainly understandable different strengths, different ways, different approaches, by all means. But unless we understand, unless we commit together to be obedient to our calling. Unless we're committed to do that, we, we will sit. We will stagnate. We will get stale. And we will eventually die. If we miss what it means. God has blessed us. God has affirmed the vision that we have painted by blessing us in amazing ways. Look forward to bringing an update within the next week or two as just as far as the progress and testimonies as far as what God is doing to continue. And God has allowed us to have a building and we've been praying about that. And we took a couple different times, a couple different groups, went over and wrote names. Remember the names and initials were praying over people in this community who don't know the Lord? You will see in the middle of those names is inscribed, okay, for the partnership of the gospel. It's written there. That's what our focus is. That's what our focus must be. To create a culture of evangelism, thirdly, we need to understand we're in a culture that teaches teaches one another faithfully. In closing, first Peter chapter three, first Peter chapter three and verse fifteen. First Peter chapter three Verse 15. But in your hearts, we'll, we'll go into this a little bit in more detail. We'll take a deep dive when we study the book of First Peter later this year. But as of right now, we'll just kind of examine verse 15 of First Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And there's these words, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I love this idea. I love these three words. Always being prepared. We understand in order to effectively create a culture of evangelism, we will examine the importance 
of not only continuing to keep a teachable spirit, willing to learn and be taught by others, but what? Be willing to teach others also. It happens on both fronts. They're primarily, I have been examining, why is it that people have such a hard time with evangelism? Why is a lot of people not doing evangelism? I know that we, we say we're really, but, but individually, why is it? I, I've really, I prayed about it and I came up with two primary reasons. Why is it, it seems that people are not doing it? The first one is simply this. People don't want to do it. Yeah, I understand I should, you know, share, I should tell. And some people say, no, I'm sorry, but I don't want to do that. Well, according to my understanding, if you are instructed in God's word to do something and you don't want to do it, you're choosing to disobey. Correct? I mean, that's basically what it means. If you are what? If you call yourself a follower, but you're not really following, you're not a follower. You can say you're a follower, but if you're not being obedient to what Scripture says... You're not following. You understand? So when people say, well, I really don't want to do it, if it's like, well, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it, I would, I would, I would check the heart. Personally, I, I don't even know if salvation exists. If you are just simply saying, I do not and I will not do this. That's the, I think that's the first reason. And I think the, the second reason is probably more widely represented is that people don't know how to do it. I think people would honestly say, I really, I, I, I want to, I would like to, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I think that is probably the more general category. That's why this, what, always being prepared, always, present tense. It's why this idea of teaching and learning is so important. It's why this idea of literally pouring into one another's lives is such an imperative to being faithful as a church moving forward. Wendy and I are, are not ashamed to admit that, that marriage is challenging. Anyone who's, who's been married for probably more than a day would admit that. And that includes most of us. And, and by God's amazing grace and delight... He has allowed us to be surrounded. And what we, have, what we have committed to do a long time ago is that we will look for older couples intentionally that are examples of a faithful, loving husband and wife. We have sought them out. I will, I will make no... Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that we don't have it all figured out. And I've asked their permission to use their names... We, we have snuggled up to a, to a Art and Linda Gray and a, a Fran and Mary Lou Johnson. They have been faithful for many, many years. They've logged, they've logged longer days. And so it's wise for us to say, how is it that I can be less selfish? How is it that I can be more loving? I listen to them and we learn. Same idea, I believe, needs to occur when it comes to this idea of evangelism. 
that we're kind of photoshopping ourselves in and we snap the pic and we say, well, there it is. I'm, no, no, why is it that it seems to be so unnatural for us? How do I learn for this that, that it, it, it erupts? And some of you are, are doing this. I commend you on a regular basis, always, always directing attention to the Lord. Praise God for that. You have a responsibility to teach others so that we understand together how to do this. Same principle applies for any area of learning and growing in in our lives is teaching and pouring into one another's lives, especially when it comes to this area. Peter describes it like this, in your hearts regard Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared. I think it really comes with an understanding of God's holiness and our own sinfulness that, that, that propels us to be ready always to give an answer, to always be learning and preparing. This is constantly learning and growing, listening, so that when other people inevitably, God's word makes it very, very clear, when other people in your workplace, in your office setting, that ride the bus with you, that sit in the classroom, that walk the hallways, that live in your neighborhoods, when they literally See in you a hope. I love that. It's visible. They will ask you, why do you have such hope? I attended a funeral on Friday. Dear godly woman, known for the last 35 years, 40 years of my life. She used to babysit me when I was a little terror. And, 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 Testimony and testimony and testimony was given that there were ups and downs, tumultuous, tumultuous hardships in their life, in, in her life, in their family's life, and they were faithful. And there was joy. And people literally asked them, why is it that you can still have joy in the midst of heartache and hardship? People ask you, they will see in you the hope. And they will ask you, that's what it says in First Peter. What is your answer? Well, your answer is simple. Your answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was a wreck. I was blinded. I was lost. I was confused. I was dead. And there's a holy God who loves me unconditionally and he reached down and rescued me and forgave me of my sin and he can do exactly the same thing for you. Did you realize that's what's going to happen? It's going to happen when you live with such a way that says, why, why do you have that? Why do you have that hope? You give to them the answer. Paul challenged Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I love that wording in the ESV. Follow the pattern of sound words. There's a plan. Paul invested in poured into young Timothy, and Timothy got it. And he followed the instructions. This is what we do when we go through difficult times. This is what we do when we struggle and stumble into sin. This is what we do when our brother or sister stumbles into sin. This is how we love our neighbors. This is how we love our, 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 our wife or love our husband. This is how we share and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me. Paul says what to Timothy? I taught you. Go do it. 
Same principle applies right here. People, please be willing not only to teach other people, but be willing to be taught. And together, what do we do? Together, we teach others. We teach others. We need thoughtful training, which will then be put into use. We'll continue on this over the next couple weeks. Think about it. It needs to become natural for us. It needs to become normal for us. It's so natural. It's like breathing. You don't think about breathing. It just happens. We need to create a culture that what, sees individual people clearly, that pulls together in unity and teaches one another faithfully. May we strive to be that church. May we understand that we don't have the ability or strength to do it ourselves, but God promises to give to us everything that is necessary to be a church that advances for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for the the vision you've given, the mission you've called us to, the mandate that, that has been commanded. God, help us, Lord, in, in every single area that we've learned today. Not to see packs, but to see people. Help us, Lord, to, to see others pulling alongside and that we may function as one. And together we would keep a humble, teachable spirit. Learning what it means to, to reply to those who ask, why such hope? And we tell them it's you, it's all about you. Father, as the clock ticks, may we understand the urgency, the urgency, the matter at hand, creating this culture, telling others about Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Stand with us as we close, please. Let's just uh, 